there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and this is the Ringer's new weekly basketball show. Today, we're breaking down the play-in tournament and discussing the disastrous season for the Mavericks. Before that, let's get into my award ballot and the playoffs with the Ringer's Wozni Lambre. Waz, thank you so much for joining me today on Beyond the Arc, man. I'm happy to be here on the maiden voyage of the show. We've been calling you Kevin O'Content for years, Concord. Instagram, TikTok, editorial, I mean, podcast. There's nothing this guy doesn't do. Now he's a king, TV king. Let's do it. Cheers, Cheers brother. Thank you for joining so me So happy to be here. Well, let's talk NBA awards and playoffs to start off beyond the arc here. NBA MVP obviously dominated yep. NBA discourse in recent months all season long, basically. On my ballot, I went with Fox fifth. Wow. Tatum fourth. Jokic third. Embiid second. Wow. And Giannis, after a lot of thought over the course of the weekend, ended up getting my vote for first for NBA MVP. And this was between Embiid and Giannis for me. Jokic was third in my ballot. His defense took a big step back this year after I sure. voted him the last two years. I gave Giannis the edge because I feel like he scored, you know, more points per minute than Embiid this year, comparable efficiently. Embiid had a slight edge from the free throw line, true shooting percentage. But overall with Giannis this year, he's been a better rebounder, a better playmaker. He had a heavier load on defense mm-hmm. with a more diverse role. He's a more versatile defender. Yep. He's on my all defensive ballot as well. You can use him in any scheme. He can switch. He can blitz. He can hedge. Yeah. He can play drop coverage as a five. Yeah. He led the NBA this year with defended field goal percentage against at the rim. Whereas Embiid, like Brooke Lopez, who I don't have on my all defensive ballot, is a drop defender. And granted, he's great at what he does that type of role has more limitations on the defensive end. So Embiid is matchup proof and and Giannis is matchup proof Mm -hmm. on defense, best player on the team, their leader, their energizer. And altogether, he's the first player since Kareem and Will to have 30, 10 and five and over 50% from the field. So Giannis, Gets my vote here with Embiid being a close second place. What do you think, Waz? I, I love that choice. It's the same choice I laid out um, on group chat on the Ringer NBA show. Uh, I picked Emb- uh Excuse me. I picked Giannis for all of those reasons you described. I think he's the only person of the five finalists for you on your ballot that has a defensive player of the year case on top of being carrying a heavy load on offense, right? This is not as efficient as his MVP seasons were, but like, okay, (laughs) that's not saying a lot. We're talking about all time level seasons that he's had before this on offense. And I think 
narratively fair or unfair these games in april march even february just mean more than december and november that's just how that typically goes and down the stretch of the season the bucks are going to finish with the best record in the nba and they're just rolling they're, they're clearly playing the best ball of any team right now. I think over the course of the season, you can say the Nuggets have played incredible stretches. You can say that about the, the Celtics, especially in the beginning, but closing the year um, as strong as they have and the way they are just dominating folks on defense and Giannis being the focal point of all of that, I think that bolsters his MVP case. And I think, you know, the MB camp have been crying about, oh, this is, uh, you know, traditionally, this, you don't give an MVP to a six seed in a blind, it is. Giannis is the <laughs> traditional pick for that. Like, he's literally checking off all of those boxes. The best team with the best record. If you go by point differential, it's not a, like over the course of the season, there's no huge difference between Milwaukee and Philadelphia. I, I take that point. But I think just the way they're finishing is more impressive than anybody else. And part of the reason why the Milwaukee Bucks are finishing so strong is because finally, after dealing with injuries to Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday good. early in the year, these guys look much more healthy at this point. So you mentioned they locked up the number one seed in the NBA, best record in the NBA. That means if they go to the finals, they'll keep home court. They're my pick to go to the finals in the East. I think they'll beat the Celtics in the East finals. And they're my pick to go to the NBA finals and win it as well. How far do you see the Bucks going in the postseason this year? I think they're going to be in the Eastern Conference finals. However... My memory of the Bucks in the playoffs, I feel like it's a lot longer than everybody else's. Uh, I remember three years in a row watching these guys just be absolutely horrific in half-court offense for long stretches of series. These are the same guys. It's the Haven't same. Haven't they improved the walls? Didn't they figure that out? Beating <laughs> the wall? <laughs> listen. Chris Middleton, uh, Holiday uh, now? Listen, listen, listen. Drew Holiday specifically has had some terrible playoff moments on offense where shot selection is bad um just and the shots that he's even getting off hitting them at very low rates and you know he's going to be counted on to create one-on-one so is Middleton like these guys are going to have to deliver on offense and it's for that reason that limitation I think Boston is so much more varied in how they can attack you offensively uh, as far as the different lineups they can put out there the big man rotation I really like both offensively and defensively and so I think Boston I still happen to be one of the last people on the Boston coming out of the Eastern Conference train but I understand why somebody would pick the Bucks. like I said they've been playing the best ball going down the stretch of the regular season and it's the last thing I'll say is there's never been a wider disparity between regular season and playoff basketball, right? Like, it's just almost like two different sports at this point. And I think in the crucible of the playoffs, where every team has you so scouted and figured out and you've shown a propensity to throw up on yourself in the half court as a Bucks offense, I'm still a little skeptical that they can take it to the finals this year. That's what I'm going to be so fascinated by with the Sixers first round series against the Nets, because even though, you know, I'm picking Philly to win the series, yeah, they're going to be facing a Nets defense that has so much versatility. They're going to yeah. double, they're going to pressure Embiid, they're going to switch on ball screens with Harden and Embiid in their dominant pick and roll this year. That's going to be a really good litmus, litmus test for Philadelphia with what they're going to face against Boston. Similarly going to switch everything and possibly if they do make the East Finals against the Bucks as well, who they'll probably do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, even in the, the, the cool thing about the Bucks 
for their matchup potentially with the Philadelphia, let's just say they get to the conference finals, is that they do have a varied assortment of bodies they can throw at Embiid. Whether you want to say put Giannis on him, whether you want to put Brooke Lopez on him, you can try Bobby Portis um, in spurts. I, I, I like the, the variations of bigs that they could throw at Embiid. As far as the Nets, I mean, yes, they, they present some fun issues and mashups for the Sixers for us who want to see competitive basketball but I think ultimately um, they're going to get swallowed up uh, because they're not going to be able to score in even a relatively efficient manner. Moving on to sixth man of the year I'm picking Emmanuel quickly from the Knicks over Malcolm Brogdon and Malik Monk for second and third place respectively you know Knicks lose out on Donovan Mitchell last summer to the Cavaliers and now those two teams are going to be matched up in the first round do the Knicks have any chance of an upset here Was No I don't think so I think even before the Julius Randle injury I was picking them to lose in about five games to the Cavs and that's not a knock on the Knicks they've shown themselves to be a legitimate NBA playoff quality team I think the job that Tibbs has done has been amazing Jalen Brunson has taken the city by storm Nick fans they'd kill somebody for Jalen Brunson um, at this point he's played so well and he's legitimized that whole operation but the things that they rely upon to generate offense things like offensive rebounds things like scoring and transition that kind of stuff gets just taken out in the playoffs against a team that has the rebounding talent to do it. And, you know, they're going to be invested in getting back on defense and boxing guys out. I just don't think they can rely on the things that they do in the regular season again um, to score in the playoffs. And then, you know, Julius Randle, who is they were going to count very heavily on him. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that he turned you, his ankle. He yeah, hurt his yeah. ankle. But even if he wasn't hurt, I don't know how 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 helpful long range contested twos are in a postseason setting. And that seems to be his specialty these days. But, yeah, I, I never liked the matchup for them. And I do think more importantly, I think the Cavs are just a very high level talented team yeah i mean the Cavs have a dominant defensive duo jared allen evan mobley isaac okoro shooting 40 plus percent from three ever since early december garland mitchell i mean they are a dominant team especially in the latter half of the season i think if you look at the FanDuel sportsbook betting odds for the finals the Cavs are the you think that's the best value best value bet Mm -hmm. best value bet i would not pick them to win it i think they in all likelihood lose the bucks in the second round but if you're you know thinking a team's going to go all the way the Cavs have a pretty good number uh, for the team going to the finals and winning it. For Rookie of the Year, I got Paolo Bancaro yep. over Jalen Williams and Walker Kessler. Do you think the Magic are set up best of all the teams that didn't make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? <laughs> I mean, if you ask our colleague Justin Verrier, they've got a top three future in the mm-hmm. league, perhaps. But no, I, I think it's they finally got a young core that you can actually get legitimately excited about. I think Franz Wagner this year. He's so good, man. And he showed an ability to play up in position Mm. that I think there was some questions if, you know, maybe we could play him at the four. Maybe we can even get spicy and do some um, small lineups with him at the five. I think he's shown an ability 
to scale upwards in position, which is exciting. And and Paolo, even as a rookie, as young as he is, he's shown that he could be a high usage offensive hub. Um, how, how many six ten guys are there that can move as, exactly. as fluidly as he does? Exactly. He, he's a special talent. It, it's his movement, his agility, his athleticism. That's what it is yeah. for me. It's the feel. It's when you combine the size that he brings with the feel of the game that this guy has. Yeah, that's legitimately exciting stuff. Um, I still I I really like the magic and what they got. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think they're they get the best young core in the East. In the West, I would say it's the Utah Jazz. I have Lowry Markinen mm. as most improved player of the year. Tough choice over Shea Gildas Alexander, who I had second on my ballot, but I SG, think De'Aaron Fox. Fox could be to in go that, from yeah. a fringe, maybe even borderline guy that he's on your MVP ballot. Oftentimes, that's the hardest jump to make from like, oh, I'm a really good player to like, no, I'm great now. Yeah. Uh I think he's another guy that has a, a strong case, but Lowry. Jalen Brunson, too. Another Jalen Brunson, yep. of course, with the um, you know, increased, increased workload bridges, especially in his Nets, Nets moments where he's just filling it up as a high volume scorer. But man, the Lowry thing was such a revelation this year. And he goes from like a, a you know a fine role player to an all star, and maybe even going to be on a lot of NBA ballot, all NBA ballots this one, year. One hundred percent, and the way that he's doing it in all of these varied ways, and in a way that like if Utah were to somehow get a legitimate superstar type of guy in there, Victor Wembanyama, who does not <laughs> hey, best lottery odds was. Hey, why not? <laughs> oh, you can see the case of how Lowry fits next to a very. Um, high usage superstar type of guy. Um, I actually left him off of my third team All NBA in favor of Julius Randle, just straight off of the pure volume of stats that Randle has accumulated. But if I have a real team with real playoff chances, I don't see how you pick Julius Randle over Larry Markinen in that setting. You know, so uh, he's just been an incredible this year. For Coach of the Year, I went with Mike Brown. I had J.B. Bickerstaff with the Cavs second, Mark Dagnall from the Thunder third. I just think, you know, with what Mike Brown did going from the Warriors as an assistant coach for a long time there to the Kings, it's amazing to see the way he kind of took some of those Warriors mm-hmm. concepts, split action, the movement, mm-hmm. the cutting with Kevin Herter and Malik mm-hmm. Monk and, 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 and kind of incorporated that with a lot of the DHOs with Sabonis that he did in Indiana that you see Jokic do with Denver. A lot of teams run with their bigs who can play make the heat with Bam Adebayo. The way those styles blended together, it just like they have the number one offensive rating in all of the NBA this year. It's beautiful to watch. Yeah, I think that's the coolest part is that we tend to not think of coaches as guys that can improve the way we do as players. We don't think of them as guys that can evolve and become just way better at what they're tasked with doing. Mike Brown, before he got to Sacramento and all his previous stops, he had a reputation for being a defensive-minded coach, Um, just All of his teams would always overachieve on defense. And there was this sense that, especially with the Cavs in the early LeBron era, that he was just rolling the ball out and being like, LeBron, go figure it out, (laughs) right? Like, And this team is the exact opposite of that. They are so scheme heavy and they have a system. And it's just, it's the the opposite of what we had known Mike Brown to be. So do they have enough to beat the the Warriors in the first round though? I I just find it hard to believe that a team this young and inexperienced in those settings. Um, is going to come out and beat 
the war, like the definition of the grizzled yeah. playoff hardened vets. It's not even that these vets have been there before. Their core has done it together, which make is another level of experience. It's like these are the guys that I've done it with, and so that continuity in the playoffs mm. for championships hard to bet against that, right? And, I, and, I can't, and, I can't see myself. You doing know, that. and with Golden State, we've seen them. They have the number three defensive rating since March twentieth. They had a huge win over the Sixers. It's a small sample. They faced sure. them, you know, you know, bad teams over that stretch. Mm-hmm. Number eleven in defensive rating since the trade deadline as well. They've trended up at yeah. the least defensively. Like in that game against the Thunder, they gave up seventy nine in the first half <laughs> and then they flipped the switch at halftime yeah. and dominated the second half that was one of those games where you're like okay they can turn it on defensively when they need to and that's why Draymond Green you know he got Michael Pena's vote for defensive player of the year over on the ringer. Yeah, I mean I appreciated it you know I think I, I did not choose him I chose Jaron Jackson Jr. for defensive player of the year you called Jaron Jackson Jr. last week on through the ringer with Tate Frazier the biggest X factor entering the yeah. postseason uh, with Memphis, they might be without Steven Adams. Mm-hmm. We saw him practicing before a game recently, despite reports that he'll be out for some time now. Jackson's going to be pivotal to Memphis's chances, regardless of who they face in the play. And it could be the Lakers, too. Yeah, I think the thing about Jaron Jackson is not just his, his, what he does for them defensively, where he's the anchor um, oftentimes. It's as offensively, he needs to be a pressure valve because... The Grizzlies, what they do is they put pressure on the rim. And so, you know, smart teams are going to divert a lot of resources towards protecting the basket. Like John Morant's the most impossible guy to keep out of the paint. So he has to make shots. He's going to be counted upon offensively to make shots for them. So that's why I think it's a big deal um, that he can stay on the floor, that he can play 36, 40 minutes a night because he's going to be so vital to what they do. Again, we know what he does defensively. I think he's defensive player of the year. You think he's defensive player of the year. But on offense, he's going to have to shoulder a huge burden because let's face it, like, you know, Dylan Brooks is, you know, you, yeah, don't, want you, don't, guy, you don't want Brooks taking a ton of shots. You know, and, and Bain, I, he's a great player, but again, he can't be counted on to be just some steady offensive hub. He's not like some Jalen Brown type, say, next to Tatum, right? And so I think Jaron Jackson is going to have to step up to the plate on offense, too. He's going to have to beat up on mismatches if they try to put smalls on him. And again, as a stretch big, he's going to actually have to stretch, actually have to knock down his long-range shots. Waz, you'll be back a little bit later talking about the play-in tournament, and uh, we'll hand out a parlay as well. Can't wait to do it. Welcome back to the Ringer Beyond the Arc on FanDuel TV. Over the final week of the regular season, the Dallas Mavericks decided it was time to tank out of the play-in tournament and into the lottery to increase their odds of keeping a top 10 protected pick in this year's draft. Team decision makers across the NBA view this blatant tanking as a Hail Mary strategy to save their team because after years of mistakes, the long-term future of Luka Doncic has never been more uncertain. Of course, The Mavs want to keep Luka forever, but what he's seen so far is a franchise botching roster construction, an unstable front office, and an owner tangled in controversy. And now he's been part of a tanking team. ESPN's Tim McMahon reports Maverick sources fear that Luka will ask out in 2024 if the situation doesn't improve. Luka claims publicly he's happy, though. Here's what he said this weekend in response to the report. Somebody said that I was going to just equate uh, trade. Uh, it was funny, you know, because I didn't know that was true. It's, I didn't say it. I'm happy here, so there's nothing to worry. I'm happy here. 
Reminds me of when Kyrie Irving said those exact words in Cleveland, and when Paul George said, I'm a pacer, or when Anthony Davis said he was staying in New Orleans, and so on, because superstar movement is almost inevitable. Stars stay in one place like Dirk Nowitzki are the exception. Even before this drama, NBA executives have long speculated about Miami or big markets like LA and New York as targets for Luka if things soured in Dallas. And now they wonder... With only three guaranteed years remaining on his contract, how much longer will Luka's patience last? The Mavs whiffed on Chris Dapps Porzingis, let Jalen Brunson walk for nothing, and acquired Kyrie with no promises he'll stay. And even if he does, considering Kyrie's turbulent history, can Luka really expect a better result in Dallas? Even after getting Kyrie, the roster still needs a better center and several wings. Their defense was an absolute abomination, devoid of rim protection, size, and versatility. And Jason Kidd's offensive schemes lacked much imagination, leading to diminishing returns when Kyrie was often reduced to just a three-point shooter in the corner. But Mavs owner Mark Cuban said Kidd isn't to blame. And you know what? I actually kind of agree. The person most to blame is the person who brought in a twice-failed coach in a GM with zero front office experience and has his own fingerprints all over every roster decision the franchise makes. Kidd might have run some predictable after-timeout plays and mishandled some rotations, but he was also dealt a tough hand with this roster assembled by Cuban and GM Nico Harrison. Kidd even admitted the call to tank games came from up top. We're trying to build a championship team, um, and sometimes you got to take a step back. These are decisions that are made uh, from my bosses, and we we got to you know follow them. and And we trust Cuban and, and Nico are going to you know put the pieces together to put us in a position to win a championship. and And so that's just. Starting the process to today. The tanking was actually supposed to begin sooner. FanDuel's own Sham Sharani reported in early April that the Mavs were considering shutting down Luka and Kyrie, but that didn't happen right away. My sources say that in late March, Dallas coaches met with players to discuss a plan for Markeith Morris and JaVale McGee to play heavier minutes. That is when the tanking was supposed to begin, but Luka and especially Kyrie were agitated that the team was waving the white flag and both refused to sit. Lucas said publicly that if they have a chance to win, he'll play. So it wasn't until the Mavs kept losing games that the key players sat out, except for Luca, who played just one quarter on their Friday game last week because it was Slovenian night in Dallas. Cuban admitted to tanking during the 2017-18 season, and the NBA fined him 600K. That was the year they ended up with Luca, so it was worth it. But after five years with him and another tank job, Luca has never lost as badly as he has now in his entire career, even going back overseas. Luca needs to take some accountability too, though. Luca must embrace screening and cutting like he did overseas. He must maintain better conditioning, and he must be better than one of the league's worst defenders. But because of his brilliant offense, ultimately, it's on the Mavs to rectify their blunders. They're left with limited assets, though. They can trade two future firsts, pick swaps, and mildly valuable young guys. This is why they tanked. Their pick is top 10 protected as the final owed piece to the Knicks for KP. So their only real silver lining is the chance of leaping into the top four and possibly snagging Victor Wembenyama. But two firsts don't go as far as they used to, though. And any team that wants Dallas's distant first would be betting that Luka leaves in free agency in 2026 or is traded even sooner than that. I bet the Mavs will get two years to fix this until the trade deadline in 2025 or that summer. 
but there's a lot more that needs to change than one or two trades can fix. The Mavs gotta hope that Luka will show the same loyalty that Dirk once did, but Dirk also never had such a weak supporting cast, never missed the playoffs during his prime, and never had to play in such an erratic situation. It's undeniable that the pressure in Dallas is mounting. We'll be back in a minute with Waz to talk more about the Mavs. All right, welcome back, Waz. Just heard me talking about the Dallas Mavericks and their shaky future at this point. Bleak, according uh, to uh, what's your uh, what's your number one takeaway? I, I like that you dispersed blame in various areas. I think number one, it starts at the top. Uh, Mark, Mark Cuban, Cuban. is mm. ultimately the decision maker, and he's been incompetent. Um, you can go back to that scandal that erupted around um, Measury and all of that stuff that was happening um, in the back office. The decisions they've made personnel-wise, uh, the way the entire Haralabob-Volgaris situation was handled, I just think Cuban has been a mess. I don't think there's any read on him as the CEO of this team that can be a positive one uh, since the Dirk championship. They got blessed. That's a long time ago. <laughs> 13 years ago, okay? Barack Obama still had black hairs on his head in those days. Um, they, they got blessed in the sense that three teams were foolish enough to pass up on Luka Doncic and this life-changing, franchise-defining superstar falls in their lap, and all they've done is bungle that opportunity ever since. Uh, Jay Kidd... I think he's had his moments where he's, you know, done a good job. Diving but, on the pile, celebrating with his team. Yes, he's had some I, good moments. I love that. But also, you know, <laughs> when he goes in a press conference and he says, I'm not the savior, which is a not very thinly veiled. I, I, I'm watching this team just like you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, this is not ideal coaching maneuvers and tactics. And then, of course, Luca. of course, he bears blame, right? It's, you know, coming into the season out of shape all the time, uh, not being as flexible in his approach to the game as far as being more comfortable off the ball, maybe setting some screens every now Wouldn't and then. would that be nice with Kyrie especially? I mean, seriously, uh, planting somebody on a screen, being a better cutter. He comes out of those kind of offensive systems in Europe. I don't know why he's come to the NBA and decided he's some just like ball hogging, I don't ever move or do anything else. He dominates doing it. Like, I, I'm sure that's yes, part of it. I, I mean, like that. he's he's a historian historic offensive player in the postseason his first two years he's averaging 35 9 and 9 against the Clippers it's just a first round exit which is part of the thing yeah it's like you know Luca can be better despite how great he's been and, and if you're Luca like you have to recognize that you can be better but also like everything good that's happened with Dallas from the you know first round runs going head toe to toe yeah. with Kawhi Leonard that's because of you going to the Western Conference Finals you beat a jazz team that was about to implode yes. with a little help from Brunson, who's gone. Yep. Then you beat a Suns team that was injured. They had their COVID outbreak. Mm -hmm. You're dominating that series. Then you get just plastered by the Warriors. But getting there is because of you. So Luca like needs to recognize it's tough that I can be better despite how great I've been. But at the same time, he's in a spot right now where everything around him has been just completely botched. So if you're Luca right now, you know, you're under contract through at least 2026. How patient, like if you're advising Luca was, how patient do you think he should be? Tim McMahon on ESPN said 2024, the Mavs fear he could demand hmm. a trade. 
I don't think Dallas would want to trade him. I think they'd just be in a situation yeah. like Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn, you know, Katie wanted out last summer. It didn't happen until the deadline with after Kyrie ended up leaving. I don't think Dallas would want to trade Luka in 2024, maybe 2025 trade deadline, 2025 yeah. offseason. Is that like how long they have? I, I feel like whenever this stuff gets out that Team X is on the clock because the superstar uh, may demand out, I think what folks at home need to understand is that while these guys are under contract, they have a disproportionate effect on how things go within a franchise. So when you say, well, Dallas can just hold on to him because they have his rights, that may be the case. But in the meantime, if this guy is not happy and he's willing to be unprofessional about his unhappiness, your situation and operation is cooked. It becomes completely toxic. If a guy who's the 12th man on the bench sticks around and sulks all the time and isn't pleasant to be around, it doesn't matter. He's insignificant to the fortunes of the team. When arguably the second greatest player in the history of Dallas Mavericks hoops is not happy, it's the way that permeates everything that's happened is just so wholly different. So they do have to take that seriously. You know, however, I don't think an artificial deadline placed by an unhappy player is something you have to necessarily adhere to. Uh, I, I, I use the example of Kobe Bryant. I remember when he was, he was talking about shipping um, Andrew, buying him out, get Luol Dang in here, all of this other stuff, or like uh, get me out of here. The Lakers were just like, no, no. Yeah. No, no. Which is what Dallas will probably yeah, say. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So they, they have pressure, and it's real. And you want your superstar to be operating at peak capacity. You want him to feel like what he's doing every day is a worthwhile endeavor because you guys have been so competent uh, in your capacity as management. But uh, at the same time, Luca's got to hold up his end of the bargain too. Well, Dallas entered the season with the 12th highest finals odds, according to FanDuel, and they <laughs> enter the offseason with the 10th highest lottery odds. <laughs> Biggest disappointment in the NBA. Didn't even make the play-in. Let's talk about some teams that actually did with our plan, mm -hmm. parlay, and predictions. In the Eastern Conference was, we have the seven-seed Heat versus the three-seed Hawks. Miami was 3-1 and one against Atlanta this season. I published a story on the ringer.com on Monday about Atlanta and how their front office, now led by Quinn Snyder, who also their head coach, has the green light to do whatever they want. This mm -hmm. offseason, you know, I can't imagine they trade Trey Young. You know, you're always betting against, you know, superstar moves. Those are really hard to make happen. But Atlanta is in a position now with after everything that happened this season. Chris Haynes reporting in December that if they don't make inroads in the postseason, Trey Young could be the one to demand to trade. Their, their owner in March saying, you know, nobody's off the table, even after being asked specifically about Trey Young. Yeah. Like, after everything that's happened this year, there's no team in the plan with more at stake than the Hawks, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's funny because... So sometimes in our business, we kind of have to read the tea leaves, Kev. And so... I see Quinn Snyder, who is a well-respected coach as far as people believe. He has a reputation around the league for being impeccable at X's and O's, at preparation. His playbook is like legendarily thick. This guy has so many tricks in the bag. He has a pristine reputation for like his coaching acumen, right? So what does that mean? That means he would have his pick of quality jobs, right? And so there's money, of course, we all work for money, but there's also a matter of 
influence mm-hmm. um, power. And, and power. Yeah. How yeah. influential can I be in this operation? And I see he signs a long-term deal with the Hawks, a team that employs a guy in Trey Young who's murdered two coaches already. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, why would a guy with this many options be willing to go to Atlanta? It has to be the case that management will back him over the player who's already axed two coaches, okay? And so I'm not surprised by your reporting, um, what you're getting out of your reporting to hear that Quinn Snyder, he's holding the cards here. He can decide if Trey Young gets to be here or not um, long-term. And so, yeah, Trey Young, I think he has a lot to prove. I, like everybody else, enjoyed what he did in the postseason in 2021. Super I, fun, especially against the Knicks. I thought great he was drama. excellent. Yeah. Um, the, the Hawks effectively talk about murders, murdered Ben Simmons' career. He he hasn't been heard from since. Um, however, they've been a, a huge disappointment at every single turn since. That's two years of utter disappointment. The money they've spent, the trades they've made to bring in talent, and they have underachieved. Um, and so, yeah, I tend to agree with you that um, the stakes are really high for the Hawks. So they face the Heat, and then in the 9-10 game, we have the Raptors and Bulls. What teams do you think end up getting the 7 and the 8 seed out of this play-in tournament was? I got to say, ultimately, I do think um, these are all lambs being led to the slaughter. They're going to get absolutely destroyed and cooked um, when they do make it to the actual NBA playoffs. But, yeah, I think the Heat have proven that they just own the Hawks at this point. They get the seven. I'm with you there. They just pants them every single time. And so the Heat, they will be facing the Boston Celtics. And I tend to think the Raptors are going to do this. Oh, so think, you think Hawks don't even make it at all? I don't think they make it out of the play-in. I really don't. I think the Hawks are going to beat the Bulls and then, excuse me, I think the Raptors are going to beat the Bulls and then ultimately they're going to take down take down the Hawks. Um, I get the Bulls beating the Raptors. Their defense has been much better. Caruso, mm. an all-defensive guy. Defense, huh? Okay. It's been much better. I mean, okay. you can't trust okay. Vooch in the postseason okay. necessarily. Okay. But I don't think the Raptors okay. are a team Vooch structured to beat him. And, and, and DeRozan and Zach Levine, that's the defense number, you want to place you trust Number five defensive rating on okay. the year was. Okay. I know okay. it's the regular okay. season, okay. but much better than anticipated. Okay, okay. got you, got you. <laughs> got you. I just, I just want to make sure we're talking about the same players. Okay, that's it. Just wanted to get back in there. So you got, you got the Raptors getting the AC, yeah. the Heat getting mm-hmm. Seven. We both agree with the Hawks being eliminated here. Yeah, I think so. And 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 that would be really interesting, Arthur, entering yeah. the offseason if that were to happen. In the Western Conference, we have the Lakers and the Timberwolves, and a report came out on Monday from Adrian Wojnarowski that Rudy Gobert, who punched his teammate oh, on the final day of the regular season, yeah. and then apologized in group in a group text and tweeted about it, saying his emotions got the best of him. Minnesota is not having him travel with the team to L.A. for their Tuesday night game against the Lakers. I'm picking the Lakers in this one regardless, even if he yeah. was there. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, Kev, where, one, you committed a – like, this is about as serious an infraction yeah. as it gets. The biggest game of your season, you're punching your teammate in the huddle? That's – you can't – get control of yourself enough that you don't do something like that in that moment a guy who's been in the NBA for a decade 
That's just utter embarrassment. And then the team goes out and wins without you in their biggest game of the season. So I don't see why he should travel. He should be suspended. He should have to spend time away from the team and think about how reckless he was. Quite frankly, I, I don't see any other option. I, I believe in this choice as far as the Timberwolves. But, yeah, I think they're so shorthanded. No Nas Reed. Um McDaniel hurt his oh, hand. He punched the wall. I mean, I mean not good. Not good. What a terrible especially, day for them, man. Especially a team this year who have been making boneheaded mental mistakes on the court all year Mike long. Mike Conley has helped there, though. Yeah, immensely. Yes. Immensely. He's been, he's professionalized their operations in a lot of ways, but I do think ultimately they lose to the Lakers for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So then in the other 9-10 game, we have the Thunder and the Pelicans. Two really young teams. It's yeah. surprising to see OKC, OKC here, but with Shea Gildas-Alexander taking a leap to, you know, borderline top five yep. MVP candidate and no doubt should be on every single All-NBA ballot. Here they are. You know, yeah. they got a really nice young team. We, you know, we talked about Jalen Williams as our mm-hmm. rookie of the year candidate. Like, they have a ton of guys. Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy. Right? Who like, I famously you know, have championed since the beginning of his career. For sure. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely did, Waz. I'll back you up. No, I'm just kidding. You definitely did it. <laughs> <laughs> but then with the Pelicans, you know, yeah. Brandon Ingram has been on an mm-hmm. absolute heater as a scorer Finally, recently. Yeah. They, they couldn't shoot at all on Sunday in their loss. Who do you have in this 9-10 and which teams do you think end up the 7 and the 8? So for me, I think Shea is the best player in that group, right? The Timberwolves, the Pelicans, and OKC. And he's had stretches of this season where he's looked Utterly dominant. Oh, yeah. Can't stop him getting to the basket. Literally just the most unstoppable guy. As much as I love Ant, I love Anthony Edwards, and he has moments where he looks like he's as good as any wing in the NBA, right? But I think Shea does it so much more consistently right now, and he's just got that look um, that... In these big moments, he understands the task at hand, and he's been delivering all season long. Like You just look up the amount of 30-point games he's got this season, and he makes it look so easy. Um, I just believe in what Shea's going to be able to do in those big spots, and I think ultimately they'll grab that eight seed. I'm with you there. We agree. So yep. you get Lakers seven, Thunder eight, mm-hmm. which means for my play in parlay, that's what I'm going with in the West, and then in the East, going with the Heat for the seven, and then the Bulls for the eighth and their vaunted defense (laughs) (laughs) with the Lakers. If they face the Grizzlies in the first round was real quick. Do you think with LA they've shown enough best record in the NBA since the trade deadline tied with the Grizzlies? Okay. Have they shown enough in the second half of the year that you think they could go all the way to the NBA finals? I think the Lakers are so high variance um, in what can make them good. They, they, their defense has been incredible. Top five defense for about two and a half to three months now as far as defensive efficiency. I just think on offense, they have to make shots. Like, they're going to be counting on that. The, the thing about the Grizzlies is, like, John Morant's going to get to the – he's going to get to the cup. He's going to get to the free throw line. They're going to they, – they are going to offensive rebound, I think, even with or without Steven Adams. I think what they – they do uh, is so much more consistent than what the Lakers have. That being said, um, 
I think the duo of LeBron and AD are better than any two individual players on the Grizzlies combined, right? Uh, especially in a setting where LeBron can walk the ball up every single possession, dictate the terms of each and every possession and shorten this game and make it a knock them out, drag them out sort of um, slugfest. They give themselves a good chance. I just think ultimately the Grizzlies overall talent is going to prevail. The, the young legs, the athleticism and the Lakers look, Rob Palenka ruined this team by trading for Russell Westbrook and trading all of their wing depth 100%. He deserves credit for what they did to bring in this group of guys and they've upped their athleticism so much um, within this deal, especially on the wings. But I just think ultimately Memphis is going to wear these guys down. Um, and the youth is going to prevail. I'm going to go with the Lakers in wow. five or six. Wow. Wow. What made, Lay the case for me. I mean, I, I think with L.A. right now, their defense, you said it's dominant. Yes, you're right about is. that. I think, with, I mean, if you're relying on Steve Adams to get by, you know, maybe that it says a lot about your team. But Adams was so important to that mm-hmm. Grizzlies team, especially on the interior with their defense, how it allowed Jaron Jackson Jr. to roam and help off ball, block shots like crazy. Offensively, the screens he sets for John Morant, I just think with L.A., they, their defense has been so good. They're going to be able to contain John Morant, and their offense, they're going to crash the boards. They're just going to overpower Memphis. Mm. They have such a great size advantage and interior advantage. I think, you know, their wings have improved a lot, Waz. Yeah, you know, no, it's... Austin Reeves, like, you know, say what you want about all the, the fouls drawn. That guy is legit, man. Yes, He's been a bucket is. getter in college, in high school, at D3. It's just all translating now with the yep. NBA. They got shooters now. You know, they're going to be streaky. Beasley, Hachimura, yep. d can be a, a shot creator for you. I just think the Lakers have... So many different ways that they can attack you and generate offense now that their true potential is going to show in the postseason. Mm, that's, I mean, I, I, I'm not mad at the pick. I, I just really think the Grizzlies have, you know, they've played in some playoff series at this point, so I'm not as worried as their youth as I would normally be. And again, I just think the relentlessness of what Ja does, even in a playoff setting, even when the court shrinks, he's still able to get to the cup with regularity. And I just think that's something you can count on. LeBron, his propensity to score in the one-on-one, in his advanced age, the guy is banging down 40's door, KOC. Like at a certain point... That stuff is going to matter. The foot is going to matter in his ability to score one-on-one. If LeBron can score one-on-one consistently, I like the Lakers as much as I like anybody in the West. I just have a hard time believing he's going to be able to do that on a bum foot at his advanced age. Well, we're going to find out starting Tuesday night with their matchup against the Wolves and see if they even get out of the play. And Waz, thank you so much for joining me on the first episode of the Beyond the Arc. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be the first guest, man. I'm happy for you, brother. Thank you.